Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Great to see you. If you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you are here. Honored guest of ours, there's a welcome center out the door to the right. If you, uh, when you leave, make sure you stop by and see one of the people that are there. We've got a gift for you and we want to get to know you a little bit better. Make sure we understand how we can serve you as best we can. If you're a family member, we're so glad that you're here. God has called this body together today for this purpose and we're, uh, we're thankful to join together as the church. The Apostle Paul was very serious about helping people outside of Christ come in to know who Jesus is. But his goals didn't stop with just getting people to learn who Jesus was or just, quote, become a Christian. His objective was that people would actually change, that they would become like Jesus, that their lives would transform little by little over time. And Paul told us the key to unlocking transformation in our life it's not another book to read it's not just another podcast to listen to it's not the new job that you need to get or a new friend that you need to find Paul says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 and we all with an unveiled face meaning no longer covered beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. You see, what we're trying to do in this series, Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus, is exactly what Paul was trying to get us to do, was to lift our eyes up and see the glory and the greatness of Jesus. And as you look at him, as you examine him, as you become in awe of him, you'll become more like him. That's exactly what happens to us. It's the law of nature. We become what we stare at, what we observe, what we are in awe of, what we worship. And so we're going to see in this series Jesus do a lot of amazing things. We're going to see him do some incredible, unbelievable things in his life. We're going to walk through to the end of the year looking at different stories of Jesus. Today, Jesus does some impressive things, but the stories seem kind of simple. I linked together, as Mike read for us, a few of the stories of Jesus here at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. And it all centers around this idea that Jesus is a servant in his life. He exists in a way that he serves people and he cares for people. He ministers to people. And so for our purpose this morning, I want this text to answer some really simple, really simple questions in hopes that we will learn not just Jesus as a servant, but we will learn how Jesus serves us, when Jesus serves us, and who exactly Jesus does serve. So let's start with the first question. When exactly does Jesus serve? When does he serve? So the story starts, as you notice, Mark uh, does this on purpose in verse 21. They go into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue. And he's teaching and he's preaching and then a man with a demon stands up and he uh, casts out this unclean spirit. And there Jesus is serving. And the first place we see Jesus serving is he serves us when we are present. Now Mark tells us this story this way on purpose. 
This was a problem for religious people for Jesus to be serving the way that he is serving on the Sabbath day. We're going to see this show up as a theme over and over through the rest of our time together that when Jesus does good works, when he does miracles, when he does healings on the Sabbath, there's this group of people that get stirred up and bothered by it. It frustrates them. But Jesus never really stopped. It never really caused him to stop serving and to stop caring. Do you ever wonder why? It's because Jesus serves when people are present. It doesn't matter if it's Tuesday or if it's the Sabbath day. When there's somebody in front of Jesus who is in need of service, he serves them. Now, Jesus isn't like you and I. He's not a sinister sort of person. He doesn't uh, lie awake at night thinking, okay, I've got these four miracles in my pocket, and I'm going to wait until the Sabbath day just to really stick it to these religious people. That's not what he does. Because we see examples of Jesus healing and caring and serving on all kinds of different occasions. And here's the point. Jesus is ready to serve whenever we're present before him. He will serve the moment that we are aware that we are in his presence because that's when we know we need to ask. You see this show up over and over when people realize that they're in the presence of Jesus. They immediately begin to think, I need to ask this guy something. I need to ask for help. He's able to do this. I've heard stories about what he's done before, and so now I've got my chance. I'm in front of him. I'm going to ask. The hard part for us is this. That as we live today in this generation, that we need to remember we're still in his presence. We forget that sometimes, and so we don't always ask. We forget that he is always with us, that he is omnipresent is what that means. I mean, he is everywhere in all places and all times. And if you were a Christian, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And the Son and the Father would take up residence in us. That he would be with us all the time when he was sending out his apostles to go in the Great Commission to preach the gospel, he says, Lo, I am with you always. Our job is to remember that we are in the presence of Jesus. Because when we remember that we are in the presence of the sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, we will be reminded to ask him for help. The other challenge is this, that Jesus' presence is not just this spiritual force or this spiritual idea. The fact is, Jesus' body still exists here on earth. His body. How, you might ask? Well, look around you to the left and to the right. When Jesus, in his great plan of redemption, put this thing together, he said, when I leave, you will do greater works than I do here on earth. Meaning, you could be in many places and many times because the church is gathering right now all over this nation. And in this world, Christians are gathering together. We are, as described in the Bible, the body of Jesus Christ. So much of the service that can be done by Jesus is done by the brothers and sisters that you share in your faith. And we need to be remembering to ask for that kind of help. So Jesus serves when we are present, but we also see another time that he serves. He serves when we're ready, when we are ready. Go down to the end of the, the story here in verse 32. So if you follow the story along, Jesus healed the man with an unclean spirit on the Sabbath day. Then he goes to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law has a fever, and Jesus heals her. And then Mark does something very important in verse 32. you got to read it. He says, that evening, 
at sundown. That's an important element for the Jewish person. Why would it matter that it's sundown? All of a sudden, these troves of people show up to probably Peter's house, and they're filling up this area in front of his house, wanting to get in front of Jesus. Why did Mark mention they waited for sundown to come? Because for them, traveling too far on the Sabbath or asking Jesus to heal on the Sabbath would have been a violation of their law. They're a bunch of legalists is what they were. And they were sitting there, you know, biting their fingernails, standing on their porch, probably good-hearted, thinking they've been taught their whole life, you can only walk a certain distance and you really shouldn't perform miracles on the Sabbath. And so they're biting their fingernails, they're waiting and they're waiting. And the moment they see the sun go down, they boom, take off. And they show up where Jesus is. Now here's something I love about Jesus. He's not like me at all. In fact, I need to become way more like him. Jesus, if they, if they would have done this when I was, if I were alive and I were Jesus, I probably would have been like, oh, you couldn't come see me on the Sabbath day? You know I heal on the Sabbath. Well, I was in the synagogue. I've been here at Peter's house all day. What made you wait? But that's not Jesus' heart. That's not his spirit. He's not offended by this. You see, here's what Jesus is telling you. He patiently, lovingly cared for them when they were ready to come. Even if they were wrong about this, Jesus still cared for them and loved them. Isn't that a comfort for you, for me? You see, here's why it's a comfort. As long as you are breathing air in this existence, your window of opportunity has not closed. Jesus is ready to serve. No matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, when you are ready, Jesus stands ready to serve. Jesus shows us the difference between just doing certain acts of service and having the character and nature of being a servant. You see, when we just do acts of service, we're in control. We decide who gets the service, when they get it, how much service they're going to get from us. But when you are a servant, that's who you are, you serve when people are in need and when they're ready. That's who Jesus was. So question one, when does he serve? When you're present before him and when you're ready. Who does Jesus serve? Who is he willing to serve? Might be a question you're wondering. Well, the story starts with Jesus in the synagogue, and he's talking to a group that probably might not be as big as this audience, but would be very similar to this audience. He starts by serving the religious people. These are the people that show up week in and week out, they're listening to teaching, they're singing the songs, they're performing all the things that God has instructed them to perform. They are, as well as you can see, very good, faithful attenders of the synagogue. They're sitting at the feet week in and week out of the scribes, the trained teachers. And you notice something about Jesus, that when he starts to serve, he doesn't see those people who are religious, who are already there, as people who are already taken care of, and then he needs to move on to those who really need his help. He goes right to the synagogue. He doesn't go just outside the synagogue. He shows up at the synagogue and begins serving the people who are known as religious. Jesus doesn't separate those who really need help from those that don't. He would say the religious as much as anyone in that moment need to be served by him. And here's the big takeaway for us. I've said this before and I know you get it. When you grow up in church, you learn the rhythms, you learn the language, you learn the routine. It's a wonderful blessing. Your compass gets set to do north early in life, and that's beautiful, and thank God for it. But 
we still need to be served by Jesus Christ. Even if you grow up in church, you still need to meet Jesus, learn from Jesus, be changed by Jesus. A life of self-righteous rule following is just as dangerous as a life of crime or greed or rebellion. If you think you don't know Jesus, whether you're sitting in a pew or you're sitting at home, it's just as dangerous. And Jesus shows up and he serves, first of all, the religious people. Second of all, Jesus serves the broken ones. Okay, this story has a man with an unclean spirit. In verse 22, we learn about this man. um, So they were astonished at Jesus' teaching. And in verse 23, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And there sometimes are some questions that revolve around what does it mean that he had an unclean spirit? Um, Is that different than what we experience here today? Does it look different? I'm not totally sure. The Bible is very clear about uh, Jesus interacting with people who had demon possession and people who had unclean spirits. I'm not sure if they're just sharing with us all the things that Jesus was aware of because of what he could see and what he knew as Jesus. But here's what I know about the phrase unclean spirit. All that means is this man, his life was dictated by something that was unholy. Spirit is the thing that runs your life. It's the thing that animates you. It's the thing that energizes you. And this man's life was dictated by that which was messed up. It was unclean. It wasn't right. And here's why this story, I believe, is included. Even with the spiritual realm interactions, it's included to give us hope. You ever feel like you want to change, but you just can't do it? You ever feel like you can't do the things that you really want to do, and it frustrates you? You ever find yourself wanting to be different and over and over making big promises and maybe big investments, but seeing not very much change in your life? You ever feel that way before? These are why these stories are here. Whether we're broken like this guy or not, we're all ruined by sin and in need of Jesus Christ. We get stuck in our life because of what's running our lives isn't healthy. It's unclean. And there's two important points about this I want you to see. First of all, it took Jesus to make this guy's life right. It took Jesus. We will not change by our own power and our own strength without Jesus. You can't go outside of church and say, my life is a mess, and I don't have things right, and I got things I need to work on, and I'm going to get those right so that I can then return back to Jesus Christ. That is one of the biggest lies that Satan convinced people who are lost in sin is that it's you, you have to figure out how to get your life right, then you can make your way back to church. You follow with me? It doesn't work that way. Jesus gets you right in church. Jesus, it takes Jesus to make this guy right. I'm reminded of how Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 when he said, we labor and we toil with all the might that we have that comes from God. Meaning Paul did everything with the energy and strength of God, not his own. It's actually kind of crazy for us to think that our broken and unclean spirit and will is going to have the strength to make us right. It's the thing that's messed up. We need Jesus' help to be made right. The second thing I want you to see about this man who was broken is where he was found. Jesus didn't run into this broken man out on the streets or in the slums of the neighborhoods. Jesus ran into this man in the synagogue, in the church. And here's why this is important. If you notice in the story, 
the people that are sitting in the synagogue, the religious ones, were not caught off guard that a man with an unclean spirit is in their company. They They weren't shocked by it. They weren't shocked that a man with an unclean spirit was in their assembly. The only thing that shocked them was that he was healed. And here's why this is important. Satan is happy, happy as can be, to have us pray, to have us sing, to have us talk about Jesus so long as we stay trapped in our sinful ways. Satan doesn't care if you show up to church week in and week out. He doesn't care if you pray and if you sing and you read your Bible so long as you allow your sinful ways to keep you trapped. It doesn't bother him. You see, he only speaks up, as we see in this story. He only throws a fit. He only makes it hard on us when we actually want to change. He loves a church that never demands people grow and change. He loves that. And so we got to learn that Jesus came to serve the broken ones to help them become clean and made right again. Jesus also serves, as we see in this story, the forgotten ones. From what we understand from the language here, it looks like Peter probably didn't know that his mother-in-law was actually sick. It was a very normal practice for them to go to the synagogue and the lady of the house to be preparing Sabbath supper, so to speak. It's called supper, right? In the afternoon, not dinner. Dinner's at night and supper. Is that right, Clay? Okay, I always get supper and dinner messed up. But anyway, the lady of the house was supposed to be making, you know, supper probably. And they returned back. And if she wasn't healthy, most likely they would have not gone to Peter's house. And Mark uses language like immediately when they find out she's sick, they tell Jesus. Like they didn't tell Jesus until they got there. And so they're probably you know, thinking as they're at the synagogue, man, mother-in-law's back home getting dinner ready. As soon as we're done with synagogue service, we'll go back and we'll have some dinner together. And they walk in and Peter finds that she's not well. And immediately they tell Jesus. She's sort of like a forgotten one. She's ill. They tell Jesus. And Jesus gladly heals her. And here's what's really cool about this. There's not a crowd around, is there? No one knows that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. This miracle that Jesus performs in healing the mother-in-law doesn't earn him any extra fame amongst the crowd. It doesn't give him any extra clout amongst people who might be skeptical of him. It doesn't bolster his ministry, does it? It does none of those things. Yet Jesus is glad to be caring and loving this woman. Now you might feel this way sometimes. That Jesus is too busy, has too many important things to take care of, really to tend to your help. Why would he really want to, you know, take his time? Or he doesn't need to bother with what's going on in my life because there's bigger things in the world, bigger fish to fry instead of just my measly stuff. Here's what you need to know about Jesus. He doesn't help you just because it helps him. He doesn't serve just because it's advantageous to just what his agenda might be. His spirit, his heart is a service. That's how he works. So it's just as important to Jesus as any other service in the world. Why? Because Jesus does not measure his ministry by who he's serving. He doesn't just want to serve important people or influential people. He'll serve anyone. Nor is Jesus just interested in serving a lot of people or a crowd of people. He'll serve anyone. Jesus' service is always about what he is doing. If he is healing, caring, loving, liberating, it's important to him regardless of the size 
or who he's serving. Let me give you the last one. Jesus serves religious, broken, forgotten, and he serves desperate ones. In verse 32, it says, all those who were sick and oppressed. Here's what that means. This is a group of people that have been to every single option for a solution. And they have resolved that their life is going to be, for the rest of their existence, suffering with a disease or a demon or some illness. They have been to all the doctors. They've been to all the different um, magicians in that time. They have come to a place where they have no other hope. They're so desperate that they will go out to this fisherman's house to talk to this teacher who has never been trained and has performed a few things, but they're not sure about him. They are that desperate that they'll go to him and hope that maybe it will work. They're desperate. And so you have to ask, have you run out of your options? Are you tired of convincing yourself that just one more idea or one more new thing will suddenly make your life all the way better? You've tried 50 different avenues and you find yourself still in the same spot. Are you exhausted with that? Jesus is here for those who are desperate too. So when he serves, he serves when you're ready and when you're present. Who he serves? Everyone. But how does Jesus serve us? How does he really serve? These stories are unbelievable. Let me show you the first one. Jesus serves with unmatched power. Now the people that were listening to Jesus when he was teaching were astonished. They were amazed. The way they heard him teach was not like what they had heard from the scribes who had taught before. And there's one word that they use to describe his teaching. They said he teaches as someone who has authority. Authority. And then Mark does this. Jesus casts out the unclean spirit, and he says, the people that are gathered around said, okay, what kind of teaching is this with authority? Why would Mark call casting out a demon or an unclean spirit a teaching with authority? He's wanting you to know something, that Jesus works with unmatched power and authority. Authority and power are kind of an interesting thing to us as humans, we understand it, and in some level, we actually have it to a certain degree. It reminds me of a story I heard about the DEA agent, you know, the Drug Enforcement Agency, who got a tip that a farmer was growing some plants on his property that were not to be uh, grown on his property, maybe some uh, things that were nefarious. And so he went out because he needed to inspect the farm. And he shows up, knocks on the door, the farmer comes out, and he says to the farmer, you know, I need to inspect your property. I got a tip that you're growing some things that are illegal. Farmer says, okay, that's fine, but do not look in that field over there, okay? DEA agent backs up and says, need I remind you who I am? And the farmer goes, yeah, okay, but don't look in that field. I'm telling you, don't go look in that field. So the agent gets his badge out, and he says, look at this badge right here. I've got authority to look wherever I want to look on this property. And he takes off storming mad, and he walks out, and he goes to that field. And about five minutes later, he comes sprinting past the house with an angry bull chasing him. And the farmer goes, show him the badge, you know. <laughs> you see, that guy had authority, right? He had control. He had power. But it was limited. You ever experience this? Like, try being a parent, you know. In my house, I've got authority. I've got power. But I've got to compel these little humans to agree with me that I've got this power. I've got this authority. It's strange. See, we as humans have authority that's contingent upon compliance. 
I need you to agree with me that I've got that authority. And I can use fear, I can use manipulation, but I've got to get you to buy in that I have that authority to exercise it, not with Jesus. Watch, watch, watch. Jesus looks to the unclean spirit and he says, shut up and get out. He makes no threats, no empty promises. He doesn't beg him. He doesn't say, if you don't, he just says, be quiet and get out. And he goes. Go to Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus hears that Peter's mother-in-law is not well. He goes and he stands over her, grabs her hand and just lifts her up. He doesn't ask the fever to go away. He doesn't beg the fever to go away. He doesn't say, listen, fever, you do me a favor here. I'll let you hang out over there. I just got to look good in front of Peter and Andrew, you know, to feel better. He just lifts them up. He has unmatched power. The best way I can really think of this would be like a bank account, you know, assuming you have money in your bank account. And if you want to buy something with that bank account, you don't go, listen, money, I'm really going to need you to move over here. I know you don't want, you just go send it, right? And you pay for something. Jesus' authority is like that. He just speaks and it happens. Now, here's what you got to take away from this your struggles, your sins, your fears, your worries, your anxieties, the thing that you are concerned about, the thing that you hate, that you're frustrated with. Jesus is not just an aid to help you with those things. Jesus has authority over them. They fall within his realm of power and authority. He's not just a guy with some good ideas that you go, hey, man, I got this really big problem. Can you counsel with me on this? He's a guy that has authority to say, winds, stop, see, be still, spirit, get out. That's the kind of authority we're interacting with, with Jesus. But the key is this. What does Jesus use to heal? He uses his word. And at some point, I know you're probably aware of the sin that easily entangles you and that frustrates you and the things you want to be different about your life. At some point, in all your awareness of all your sins that you're so keen on, at some point, you're going to have to turn your attention to the word of Jesus to drive that out. Because you won't drive out your sin by just being mad at your sin. You won't drive out your sin by being disappointed or embarrassed by your sin. You won't drive out your sin by hating your sin. Your sin is driven out by the word of Jesus Christ. It's got to speak into your life and change you. Jesus serves with unmatched power and unreserved fullness. When he heals, he completely restores. The unclean spirit said, be silent, don't speak again, and get out, cut off completely. The mother-in-law, he lifted her up and she served. You notice, you ever had a fever and then after the fever and you're better, you're still a little groggy or tired? He restores her to the point where she's ready to serve. She's healthy. The sick that came to him that were diseased and demon-possessed, he healed them. And meaning this, here's the word that Mark used, reversed the condition they were in. These stories show us the power that Jesus has, that in a blink of an eye, in a moment, he made it perfectly new. Now, we don't always experience life like that this way. I can only think of two times in my life when something I believed that was a lie became 
aware to me like that. I can remember these two moments, but in a lot of my life before that and after that, it's a daily battle. It's a daily struggle to fight against sin and my old ways to let the ways and the words of Jesus change me. That doesn't mean that we're doing it wrong or that our faith lacks. What it means is we're not yet in glory because when we see Jesus, John promised this, the moment you see Jesus, when he returns, you will be transformed to perfection. You see, these little moments of victory, when you hang in there with Jesus and something changes in your life, are a taste of what glory will be when he returns. Small victories are a taste of what heaven will be like when he returns in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Body, soul will be changed. We will be made perfect and made right. The last thing I'm going to tell you is this. We need to learn a lesson from this demon. That might sound strange, but I mean it. Look what the demon said to Jesus all the way back in verse 24. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The demon asked Jesus, are you here to destroy us? What's the answer? Absolutely yes. And 1 John 3, verse 8, says that Jesus appeared on earth to destroy the work of Satan. So here's the question for you this morning. Was Jesus successful? Did Jesus accomplish his mission? John said his mission was to come to earth, destroy the work of Satan. Was he successful? Generically, yes. What about personally? Are you letting Jesus be successful in you? Do you know, what, do you know that you're in his presence right now? Are you ready to change? Which category of those people would you put yourself in? Religious, still needing Jesus, broken, forgotten, desperate? All can be served. And what part of this service do you really need to put your trust in? His unmatched power or his unreserved fullness? His authority? Think about this. Your sin falls under his jurisdiction. What do you need to bring to him? Is it his fullness? How far have you made it? Do you need to ask him for continued growth, continued change? Here's what you need to know. Jesus is a servant of all people, and nobody serves like him. It's time to bring Christ your broken life so that he can make you new. Let's stand and sing. If you have a need, won't you come?